Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. Hey, Julie Harris, it's May the 3rd. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we are talking about six rules only rich people know. And these are uh, points that you and I actually have been perfecting along the way. We originally wrote this outline, it was a while ago, and mm-hmm. we edited it now and then, we update it, and we come up with better analogies and more, I think, you know, more content, sure. which makes these points really valuable. This is one of those topics that when we talk about it, um, it's something that doesn't really, some people, they hear it, they like it, but some people are really moved by that. I remember yeah. you and I, uh, having presented this similar content in the past and we've been at a live event. So I remember one in particular, we were in Hawaii and there was a couple that came up to us. You remember this? Mm-hmm. And they came up to us after the point, the fourth, fourth point, we're going to go through two more points today. And they're, they specifically remembered, uh, things we said as homework, as a result of the last rule, which is rule four. And I was uh, I was really touched by how uh, impactful it was on their their lives. Yes. Matter of fact, they said essentially the financial guidance we gave them as a result of Rule Four had given them direction that they had been following, and it maybe had been for like maybe only twelve to eighteen months. But they're sharing with me all the victories they've had as a result. I know, and isn't it amazing that this kind of thing isn't taught more? You would think that there would be more financial well, education, more wealth education. You're, you're going back introspective. To, you're going back to rule yeah. number two. No one, yeah, not well, even that's true. no <laughs> one, not even your mama wants you to be rich, and that's the reason it's not shared. And furthermore, that's the reason people sure. are brainwashed into thinking the accumulation of wealth is wrong. They're brainwashed into thinking the rich don't pay taxes, the rich don't pay <laughs> yeah. their fair share. Blah 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 blah. They're all. Fair. It's just a bunch of brainwashing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just make this one point with regards to. Um, and this sounds political, maybe it is, but it isn't really. If you look at Greenwich, Connecticut, for example, and in the state of Connecticut, small state, small little hamlet of Greenwich, well, here's the thing. Greenwich pays basically all the taxes uh, for the entire state of uh, Connecticut. And also, if you look at net taxes, in other words, people pay taxes. Oh, you know, you might think that, you know, you paid, you earned, you know, 120000 last year and you paid taxes. But the what you got your what you paid in taxes, you basically got back in the form of, you know, essentially benefits back from the government. And what happens is when you reach a certain income threshold, and some of you might think that income threshold is very high, and it's you know it's a, it's an impressive number. But depending on where you are, uh, depending on what your state taxes are and all your other expenses, it might not actually be that much um, at all. And so what you quickly discover is something like, I don't remember the exact percent. I'm sure some of you will know better than me, but I believe it's only like 1% or maybe it's like the top 3% or something like that of all Americans pay literally all the, the taxes. It's like 98% of the taxes right. are paid by but, the top 1% or 2%. Right, exactly. In and, other words, and yet they also receive almost zero benefits. Zero right? benefit. In other yeah. words, they don't get anything. They don't get, have deductions. Right. So you, a lot of listeners might not realize this, but again, I'm going back to the point that you know, why is it that people, uh, there's no education to Julie's point. Why is there no education on how to become rich? It's because the system essentially needs you to stay dependent. And that's really ultimately the decision you have to make. And that's really the ultimate outcome. Uh, the output of being rich is you no longer have to be dependent. You can start being independent, not just in 
um, you know, frankly, what you do and who you do it with and, you know, all those types of, you know, work-related things, but also where you live, what you think, who you vote for, all the different things that are influencing your, uh, essentially your existence on this planet are really predicated, and you'll be shocked if you really think about it, are really predicated on your financial situation. So we're going to roll into point number three, and we're going to get to point number four as well. And hopefully you guys are enjoying this, because this really is, for Julie and I, these are not points we read anywhere or heard anywhere. We assembled these from our own life experience and also from having done 16 bazillion coaching calls. Yes, absolutely. You know, helping some people figure these things out sure. on their own. So mm-hmm. let, let's get to point number three. Before we do, I want to remind everyone, it's not too late for you to download your 2021 business plan. Just text 2021 to 47372, text 2021 to 47372. And when you do that, we're going to text you back two. well, actually it's seven books, um, but the two that I want you to read right away is going to be Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate. And that is Napoleon Hill's um, public domain version of his book with a lot of added real estate content. And also the Real Estate Treasure Map, which is your fill in the blank 2021 business and life plan. Those two books work perfectly in conjunction with each other. I'll strongly suggest as you're going through um, filling out your um, real estate treasure map, your business plan, you are also remembering the notes of these four rules that Julie and I are sharing with you today. Do you want to get to point number three, Julie? Yes. So if you missed points number one and two, get caught up on your podcast because we're starting on rule number three. Everything is better when you're rich. Nothing is worse. When you have normal life problems, uh, does having money make those problems better or worse? Even in the worst case scenarios of life, they're better when you are rich. I've had this conversation with lots of coaching clients, as I know you have as well. Mm -hmm. And that could be choose your tragedy, you know, life, death, divorce, you know, got behind on a health insurance bill, whatever. Alien invasion. Alien invasion, zombie (laughs) apocalypse, global (laughs) pandemic. Yeah, even even a global pandemic. Well, that's just hover there. I mean, what happened during a global pandemic? People in the big cities in Manhattan and what they went to their summer houses and they moved. It it was better for them. But they did. They moved. They left and they're not Mm -hmm. going back. And that's happening all across the country and all across the world. And furthermore, the government also recognized that things are better with money. So they did things like through, you know, PPP money at you and different things like that. I read an interesting article this morning that for years, um, the uh, it was argued that there is no uh, increase in people living or moving from big tax states like uh, New York, let's say, for example, uh, the rich. The, the, the premise was you can raise the taxes to the moon and back and rich people are going to stay put because their kids go to school there. They work here. Mm-hmm. You know, they that's this is their where they have their there. roots. They don't care about taxes. It's not actually a, you know, that's, a thing. That, that, and that was the argument for a long time. But now they're saying they're reversing all of it because um, when the pandemic broke, a lot of people used the pandemic sort of as their nail in the coffin to leave. No pun intended there to leave these big urbanly dense, very expensive areas and they're not going back. And so finally the same people, the same, you know, I don't know what you want to call them, economists that were saying that there is no correlation between taxes and a rich flight, let's call it that. They're now reversing and saying, well, now because of the pandemic, it seems that these trends are not going to be reversing. And and what, what you're seeing in a lot of these, well, it's happening everywhere, guys. In Miami, it's happening, uh, you know, in the, in the condo towers, like in the towers in Miami for a long time, those were super hot. And the residential single family houses were just okay. Now it's just completely reversed. Every In Austin, Texas, let's, we talk about Austin a lot. And you look at Austin, you go downtown Austin and those uh, the uh, units in the towers down there, not nearly as, uh, they're not nearly as um, 
you know, inflating or appreciating as much as the houses all around uh, Texas. And now you can go 30 or 40 minutes from Austin, and those houses are doubling in value as well. Well, all the while, the, the close-in uh, tower units are not really selling or not selling like they were. And this is not conjecture. This, you know, we're, we're a quarter and a half into the year. All of this is trackable. All of this is being reported on. The cities that have the highest increase in property value are the ones that, you know, have the most sales and people from other states are coming in. You can track all of this stuff. It's not conjecture. So the point of it is, at the end of the day, is that uh, this uh, this is just a little real estate information, uh, you know, woven into these points Julie and I are making about money. The reality of it is, is what you're seeing is rich people are basically, and I, by rich, it's not even really that rich. The people that have the financial ability to choose where they're going to live now that it, the expectation that you have to, you know, go to work every day, physically go to work has changed. And now the expectation that maybe homeschooling isn't so bad, that bell is not ever going to come unrung. And you're going to see more mo um, uh, essentially emphasis and motivation on people living life by their own terms. And it's easier to do so when you have money. That's right. So circling back to our point, we got distracted by the pandemic for a second. The problem You have no problems when your problems can go away when you write a check. The problems you have when you have money are better than the problems you have the problems you have when you have money are better than when you have... The problems you have when you have money are way better than the problems you have when you're poor, basically. When you're poor. So okay. rich people... Yeah, I know I got it at that. That's okay. So rich rich people problems are a hell of a lot better than poor people problems. This is true. And I, mm -hmm. I, I don't... Julie and I are not fans of talking about ourselves. We sort of avoid it. But the reality of it is, as having been, you know, one and now the other, I can promise you that that is absolutely true. It's a hell of a lot better thinking about investment strategies and things like that than it was worrying about how you're going to pay your rent or how you're going to buy food. You know, yeah. there's, it's completely, yes, there are, you, you guys get the nature. I don't think I have to sell it to you, right? <laughs> the nature of those two uh, worry categories, it's much better to have the rich person problems than the poor person problems. Indeed. And here's an interesting fact. People romanticize the idea of living simple lives out on the prairie or in a jungle tribe. But the historical facts are that the tribal nation of humans was actually quite horrible. The Indian tribes in the Southwest here actually committed some of the most brutal atrocities ever accounted for. Rape and murder were normal out on the prairie. They weren't spiritual meccas of well-being. I think that's revisionist history. Do you know largely. you said Southwest here? I, I meant in the U.S. Yeah, in the know. U.S., yeah. yeah. We're not well, and I'm sure, that, well, actually, Tainos were known as being fairly peaceful for Caribbean yeah, they, Indians. Exactly. But, uh, the funny story is how, and I don't know if you guys have ever studied this, but every time there's a lost tribe found, and they learn that life's better out of the jungle, like, you know, having real clothing and normal food to eat. What do they do? They leave. It's the first thing they do. They get out of there. They like having nicer stuff. So if do, you could... Do you yeah. remember that on Netflix I, or something? Yeah, uh, I think it was a National Geographic or Discovery yeah, yeah, or was. something like that. It was. And they, you know, it was like, oh, we found this. And this was fairly modern times. This was not that long ago. We'll set it up right. So, yeah. so they discovered some lost tribe. I think it was in some island off Australia or something crazy. Mm -hmm. And they were uh, they were using like uh, you know essentially not even telephoto lens but they're trying they're doing their best to make it so that the people living this lost tribe were never aware of outside the outside world trying ne to be non-invasive right exactly thank you and so they're using all kinds of little clever ways just to take pictures of them well eventually one came in contact with the other and uh, you know every the, of course the outsiders the westerners if you want to call us that we're all sort of thinking that these people are living some, you know, romantic sort of back to nature life. And the second that is like one year, you see all the this long sort of documentary of these, you know, these tribal people. And, you know, this is how we think they live. And this is who we think they're, you know, how long they've been living like this. And these are their customs and traditions. And they have their own language and they have their own everything, their own religions. And then 
you know, then one day, like I said, they came in contact with each other, the researchers, the scientists, and these tribal folks. And it was like about two seconds later mm -hmm. that the tribal people were like, that's a cool shirt. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, they weren't saying that, but you guys get my point. They wanted... <laughs> it's this, a shirt. It's a shirt. And they had loincloths, right? So they were yeah. going like, hold on, what are those things on your feet? These these things wearing our feet are not yeah. as good as those things. No. And then it was like, then they, the scientists started saying it was something like six months later, then all the, the younger men wanted, there's a few of them that left and they figured they followed the scientists back, you know, through this sojourn back to some resemblance of society. And so eventually what happened was, is the uh, you know, the civilized parts of this you know nomadic or whatever it was uh, culture all of a sudden got influenced by the outsiders and it was like the next year they went back to the village and there were like three people there because they all said heck screw this, this man yeah what what do you mean you got Netflix air conditioning what's that I know <laughs> carry bug out spray? carry out food yeah bug spray carry out food yeah. hold on hold on. What? That's what? Toilet paper. No, uh -huh. no. Hold on. <laughs> that solves a problem. Yes. Well, and you're often uh, fond of saying that we're spiritual beings in a materialistic world. I mean, it's okay we're, we're spiritual to like beings. stuff. It's okay to want stuff. We're spiritual beings in a physical incarnation. Physical. Yes. Yes. But as such, it's okay. You know, the goal should not be the burlap sack lifestyle. Right. Well, anyway, so the point being that ultimately what you're realizing is that even the poorest people in the face or, you know, call them poor, but, um, you know, they too want to, to have things in their lives because things make your My life point. better. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so money improves every aspect of life. 99% of your issues go away with money. With money, you also make other people's go uh, problems go away when you choose to. You can solve their issues. Obviously, if you choose to, you can contribute and help how and when you want. And so ultimately, we've got to move past this idea that somehow more money, you know, makes your life worse. I know intuitive, like practically speaking, intuitively, you know, that's not true. But isn't it interesting culturally that so many people actually believe that's true? Now, you might say, well, Tim, I don't believe that's true. Well, then why haven't you accumulated more money? Why aren't you working to be financially free and rich? So if you got to look not by not what you say, especially as you're like, you know, uh, we, and you're in a situation where you're having this conversation with somebody else. And we've done this similar presentation in front of live audiences before. And not a single soul would admit they have any sort of abhorrence to being rich. But then you ask them to be introspective. Then why aren't you? Then why haven't you? Then why are you just basically operating on essentially two months worth of savings? Then why are you, you know, did it fill in the blank? And the answer is, is because there is something that's holding them back from being rich. And there is some innate belief that there's some you know evilness that's associated with being rich, and all the people around them think similar things in some you know differing levels. But the moral of the story is is if you really want to know how you think, you don't use your conscious mind. Look at your behaviors. Look at your look at actually how you're living. You know, if you're not living with financial abundance and financial security, if you're not living with all the things that you'd hoped you'd have in in your life at this point. Clearly, you have some subconscious wires crossed that are causing you not to take the actions necessary for you to move forward. And it's okay. It's perfectly normal. That's absolutely of no surprise. And I'm going to tell you a solution to that after we get to point four. It's kind of the takeaway from our presentation here. So, Julie, and make sure you read ahead because I probably have more typos. That's okay. I try to keep up with them, but sometimes you trip me up. Okay. Rule number four, what your heart, soul, mind, and body, and spirit search for beyond all else is freedom. Sometimes you might hear us call that libertas, those of you who are paying attention. Uh, you might want more than anything libertas to do, what you, to do what you want to do when you want to do it at the highest level. But you've got to earn that. If you've never had to worry about, if you never had to worry about money for any of your immediate needs or those of your family, those you care about, 
If you'd created abundance for everyone who matters most to you, you'd then have that freedom to do that for others. The highest and truest purpose of all of us on this planet is to be of service to others. There's no greater feeling of satisfaction than feeling of knowing that you've helped someone. Most people say that their happiest years were raising their family when they were helping them grow up in an intense and daily level. That's why when they're older, it's not uncommon to feel depressed out of lack of being needed. But when you're rich, you can create a circumstance for yourself where you're always being of service to other people. There's always people that are going to need you. So ask yourself what you would do with your life's energy if you no longer had to worry about money. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? If you no longer had that worry, you'd make better decisions. You'll make different and better decisions when you're no longer living in fear of being broke. No longer living in fear of pissing someone off who might be able to fire you or cause you some sort of financial uh, insecurity. Ask yourself if you were rich, truly independent and free, would you vote the same way? Are you voting the way you are now because you're choosing to give up your freedoms for the promise of being taken care of? People with purpose who are financially free are focused on improving their lives as well as the people around them. It's not more money, more problems. It's more money equals more time and you can truly make a difference. When you're rich and free, you're not easily manipulated. When you're not rich, your decisions are largely influenced by someone or something creating the illusion of financial security for you. But once you're rich and free, you'll see how you're voluntarily choosing to be beholden to a system which was intentionally designed to oppress you and manipulate you into believing that the system has to exist. I like to say if it's meant to be, if it's if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Take control. That's a lot to take in. That's a lot to take in. It's, but it's a lot true. of thoughts, but it is true. Why would you, so I have a question for you. And some people are going to take that as a political thing. Well, aside from political, yeah. I have, you know where I was going with my question. So I have a question for you. Sure. Why would somebody listening to what you just read, complete with typos that you fixed before you read them incorrectly, okay. so I appreciate that. What? Uh, why would someone take that offensive? Why would someone argue with what you just read? I think part of it is when you've had a habit of that kind of decision-making you have confirmation bias that you've been right, especially if you're doing okay in life, because taking the other stance is going to cause you to have to upgrade your skill, probably upgrade your work. You know, it's I'll go, accountability. I'll go, de- I'll go a step further. The reason that you would be offended by that is if you were threatened by the idea that people no longer had to be beholden to a system that you yourself are part of continuing to manifest. Yeah. So if you were, if you were on the part of the conversation where you were one of the people that was essentially you you in your own way, were, you know, even a more personal way. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a mechanic working at a you know a, a car lot or you're working at a Ford dealership or whatever, you're probably you know beholden to you're obviously beholden to your job and paying your mortgage and you're beholden probably to being part of a union and some other things. Mm-hmm. So you're tied into this system. That's one level of basically being beholden. But another one is is if you're not just you know you're part of now the government itself. Let's say sure. And now you you actually are beholden to the point where you don't want it to change because you get a pension. Sure. You don't want to change because you've and got you've great benefits. And you've been paying into that for a long time. Exactly. you've been committed to that for a long time. And so this is ultimately what happens. Yeah. It's like and you're bailing on your tribe in a way. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and, but it's not just bailing on your social tribe, but it's bailing on the thing that gives you security. Mm-hmm. So the system is what's given you your, your security. The system yeah. has given you the sense of being taken care of. Or a sense of, of security. Right. It, well, if you're working yeah. for the government, it's a sense of That's security, true. but it's even a step further. Sure. So it's fascinating when we go through the, some of these points. And I remember having a conversation. I'm about to tell listeners something crazy, but this is true. So one of our coaching clients, and Paul, if you're listening, I'm talking mm-hmm. about you. 
He actually, get this guys, he was a part-time realtor who earned like five, $600,000 a year. But he also was a, he owned a software company that was uh, contracted by, all he ever told me was an agency. So it was the NSA or it was the CIA. And I think over time I kind of figured out it was the CIA. And so he made, him and his software contractors made, you know, he obviously never told me other than to say what I just told you. That was the gist of it. No more details are necessary. But I was talking with him once about, and the CIA, well, let's say one of these agencies that obviously tried to hire him, he has a super high security rating and just everything was that he had done in his career had gotten to a point where he would have been just basically walked right into a, a bureaucracy and had a high pay, well, a high power position right away. And I remember asking Paul why it is that, because he obviously decided to have his cake and eat it too and be on the outside still trying to provide contract work you know, those types of things. And still his very successful real estate brokerage, of which, by the way, he got his real estate transactions, a lot of them from the work he was doing um, in the government sector, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great idea. So I asked him, I said, well, why is it, help me understand, because I really didn't understand, why would some of the best and brightest, aside from, you know, basically uh, wanting to do things for the, being patriotic and things like that, why would some of the best and brightest, or even why would anybody want to take a job where they were uh, never going to, where on the outside they could earn so much more money? And yes, I realize that people need to make, you know, there needs to be a government. People need to work for the government, all these types of things. But he explained to me some, he explained to me this, what I'm about to share with you, from a perspective that I, you know, obviously he, he had, he's seen both sides of the coin. He said power. And I thought, well, what do you mean? He goes, because when you're working in a position like, you know, where you're essentially working for the government, your motivation is power, amassing and keeping power. It's not money. He said, sometimes what happens is after you've amassed enough power, then you can retire from your government position and then you work in the private sector and then you can use the power you uh, amassed to then basically make a lot of money. And I never really thought about it that way. I never thought about it that people would, you know, essentially spend their entire lives uh, just for the sake of basically being part of a structure that made them feel important by giving them power. I thought that was interesting. I don't know why I'm sharing that with all of you, but maybe one or two of you out there might benefit from that information as well. If you're trying to want, understand why somebody does something and at the first uh, lens that you run things through and all of us do it, or thinking that people are motivated the same way we are, and I guess the big takeaway I had on that, of course, I already knew this from coaching, but the big takeaway from you know a non-real estate coaching perspective was very, 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 very few people are motivated by wanting to be free. Yes. And very, very few people are wanting, are motivated by wanting to be rich. I think and, they start out by uh, being motivated to be free. I think a lot of people get their real estate license thinking it's going to be their ticket to freedom. And then, you know, they usually do a few, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a handful of deals before it gets hard. And then reality sets in and you get further and further away from that feeling of freedom and from that desire of not just replacing your old job, but improving upon it. And then you start to settle. And then everybody around you says, well, you know, it's supposed to be a grind. And then like 10 years later, you wake up going, this is not good enough for me. I need to do better. Well, it happens to all of us. We, we get lulled into complacency. Sure. It's easy to happen. It's mm -hmm. far easier to happen. Well, it's, it's easy to happen at any age, but it's easy, it's easy to happen and harder to reverse the older you get. That's true. The older you get, the more... It's you, harder to fix. It's harder to fix. The, more you, you, the older you get, you might say you're more set in your ways. And there probably is a lot of truth to that. What you're using, losing is your mental elasticity. You're starting in more than that, you know, more than just brain synapses. You're also losing your ability to um, essentially be introspective about why you think the way you think. You, you sort of shut life off slowly and then start accepting that this is the way it's going to be. It's the way it's always was, the way it is for everyone you know, and that is just what it is, mm -hmm. where it doesn't have to be that way. And that's, again, I'm just speaking now to those of you who are 
um, in real estate or you're in your 40s, 50s, or 60s maybe, or even in your 30s and you're starting to feel a little bit of that giving up feeling or maybe a lot of it, I will strongly suggest you check yourself on that uh, because you really can create wealth and the opportunities that we have in the real estate industry right now because of this market, and we're going to do an extended show on reasons, well, what to look for. Uh, I, I won't foreshadow it any more than just to say this. Julie and I have done a lot of research to reinforce our philosophy or our, our theory that there's going to be a boom market, an incredibly strong real estate market for the next three to five years. But we're also doing a lot of research on what to look out for in your own individual market if that market if, if the market were to start to reverse. And we've we've already got it down to 20 points, and I think they're they're very powerful. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be coming up the next couple of weeks. But at the end of the day, guys, you're in real estate, not for trophies and plaques. You're in real estate to basically earn, you know, be of service to other people and you will be of service to more people the better skill set you have. And ultimately, your litmus test isn't, again, the trophies and the plaques. Your litmus test of how efficient you are as a business owner, how good you are at helping other people, is how much net profit you have. That's the correlation. That's that, your product. That's your, exactly. Your product, what you produce in your real estate business is profit. And if you're not creating enough profit, then all you're doing is basically churning money and transactions for the sake of hopefully paying your bills. And some of you, you know, a lot more than that. But at the end of the day, if you're not making enough profit, with, you know, you're never going to have anything to show for all your work. You, you are going to possibly generate thousands of transactions over your career. But at the end of it, if those transactions weren't profitable enough, enough so that you could then reinvest that money and become rich where your money works for you, you no longer work for your money, other than paying for a really nice lifestyle, let's hope, why did you do it? And I think as the older you, the older you get, the more you're thinking, well, maybe one day I'd wake up and not have to necessarily want to go on a listing appointment today. But I have to go on the listing appointment because I only have a few months worth of savings. And if you are in that situation and you're, you know, 50s, 60s, or 70s, or even in your 40s, like I said, you have to understand that your situation now is a result of you of the thoughts and the actions that you took in the past. You can take different thoughts and actions now, and you can change that outcome. And again, because of this market, because of this economy, because of great things like eXp Realty, you can actually change that, your, your financial reality faster than you ever could before in the 25 years Julie and I have been in the real estate industry, that's for sure. I mean, maybe you don't have enough time to accumulate a big property portfolio, and that's fine. But with something like eXp Realty, you could create a really nice passive income from revenue share. By the way, if you guys want to talk to us about joining our eXp Realty group, which is, by the way, called Libertas, please feel free to text me at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. In the meantime, we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.